Hey everybody, this is episode 142 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin recording this intro of a live podcast that I did with an audience of 40 to 50 people this past Thursday where I interviewed today's guests and I was talking to Robbie Ballinger and Jackie Howard who were exciting and really, really interesting guests to have on the show. Robbie just completed this past spring a cross-country run running from LA to New York City over the course of 75 days from March 16th through to May 29th. He completed 3,175 miles in those 75 days doing about 45 miles per day as a part of the journey. As I interviewed him, we talk about his reasons for wanting to do it, which included showing people that you can do big things on a plant-powered diet and he talks about also his mindset his challenges the things he faced out there and then we get from Jackie Howard his future sister-in-law and one of his crew members the perspective on how she helped him plan his diet and nutrition to get not only the calories he needed but also the macronutrients he needed in order to get this done and have the energy to complete this cross-country journey. So really, really interesting discussion. And as as someone who is sometimes skeptical of people doing adventures like this for a cause, I can say that I was really, really impressed with Robbie, not just in terms of being impressed as a person, but I also believe that his cause, doing this, as he said, for his plant-powered mission his cause, I think, most more directly ties to the action, to the journey that he took than sometimes it does for others. And that, to me, is really, really powerful and fascinating. I also think he's just a really good, introspective person who has a lot of good things to say and good advice for those of us who may have big goals, whether they're to run across the country or maybe just to get a marathon PR. So I think there's a lot to learn from this episode in this interview, regardless of your perspective. Robbie and Jackie are actually both from the Austin, or at least both recently from the Austin area. Robbie's now living in Denver, but lived in Austin for a long period of time. Jackie has actually trained with us at Rogue, so they're they're close friends in a sense. And and it was so it was fun to also get to know them through this discussion in a little bit of a new way, especially since I hadn't really talked to them since they completed this journey. So with that as an intro, we'll jump right in. Welcome Robbie and Jackie to the show. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Yeah. And welcome to our live audience here at Rogue. We've got, I don't know, 40, 50 people here to see Robbie talk about his experience running across the USA. It's super exciting. Jackie, as I mentioned in the intro, was one of his crew members, helped with nutrition planning and diet. And so we're going to get to all the details about your journey. But I wanted to start with a very simple question for you, Robbie. Give us a little bit just on your background, not uh, not running wise, but just you. Where were you born? Where are you from? How did you get to this point in life? Yeah, so I'm from Georgia. I grew up in northeast Georgia. I made my way to Austin about 10 years ago. Uh, Spent the majority of my adult life in the restaurant industry, uh, and that was kind of what led me to running. I, uh, here in Austin, was one of the people that started and was overseeing operations for Bufalina Pizza. There's one on Cesar Chavez, another one up on 
Burnett Road. Um, as we opened the restaurant, <clears throat> I was definitely in that time of life and in the restaurant industry where it was work hard and just party a little bit harder. And that was a lot of fun. I had a really good time. And then the, the responsibilities of the restaurant really started to mount. I was overseeing operations. And my girlfriend at the time, now fiance, Jackie's sister, Shelly, she uh, invited me out on a run. So we ran from my place over on the east side to Daily Juice downtown. It was two and a half miles, and that was all I had in me. Uh, I, that, was, that was the longest run I think I'd ever done. I played team sports in high school and stuff, but had never been a runner. Uh, and from there, it just progressed. So over the next six months or so, I just kept putting in miles. Uh, my first race was the Decker Challenge. And uh, yeah, love that there race. There we go. Yeah. Good local ARC <laughs> race. And so that was, yeah, a couple months after I started running. And from there, I did the Philly Marathon and then on to a 50 miler in Georgia. And yeah, that was just the progression. So just kept running more and more to relieve the stresses of my job. And then about 18 months ago, we decided to kind of pack up and move to Denver. I, I left the restaurants and for Shelly to go to nursing school. And in that time is where I conjured up this crazy idea to run across the country. We'll get to all of that. Jackie, also Rogue member, longtime Rogue member, future sister-in-law to Robbie here, yes. your sister Shelly, <laughs> you mentioned. Give us a little bit of your background. Yeah, um, I'm from Austin, Texas, born and raised. And, um, hey, hey. And uh, yeah, I grew up here. Um, I've been a vegetarian since I was 12 years old, and so I've always kind of been somebody that's thought about my nutrition and what I'm putting into my body. But more recently, after college, um, kind of started running, started thinking about my fuel a lot more in a, in a more analytical way, and became a vegan about five years ago. And just recently kind of started getting excited about becoming a nutritionist and um, took an online plant-based uh, nutrition course to help with the transcon for Robbie's run. And, and I also planned um, my own Appalachian Trail through hike to be completely vegan prior to Robbie's run. So I kind of had a sense of what a long endurance um, event would look like on a vegan diet for 12 hours a day of, of work. Um, and you were previous to that a marathoner as yeah, well. So I skipped over, I skipped bit, over yeah, that. Tell us a little about your running, <laughs> your running journey. Yeah, so I, I joined Rogue, actually. Um, well, I started running to keep my sisters and dad company as they were training for a marathon because I was having a lot of FOMO. And um, eventually I found myself, like, running 16 miles on a Saturday morning, and I'm like, what? Do, I should train too. <laughs> like, so I signed up for the half marathon when they all did the marathon. And... Um, and then I kind of was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this running thing and uh, joined Rogue, trained for my first marathon um, with, or my, yeah, with, uh, well, I trained for my first marathon actually, I think alone. And that was kind of a, a <laughs> slow decline in Austin where you just like, <laughs> the last six miles were, you know, a death march. But after that, then I decided to join Rogue and I trained with James Dodds and then, um, Bobby Garcia, who's out here in hey, the hey. audience, and uh, and then Amy Anderson with Team Rogue, and um, kind of just had these leaps. I had like 30-minute PR, and then another 30-minute PR, and I, I saw a lot of progress athletically, and at the same time, that's when I switched to becoming vegan as well, when I um, saw these huge gains, and so, yeah. 
So back to you, Robbie. Let's dig a little bit more into your running journey. You talked about that first two and a half mile run being the longest you'd ever run. And that really wasn't that long ago if we put the time frame in perspective. So how'd you go from that to doing 50 milers so quickly? Well, uh, yeah, it was two and a half miles about six years ago. I, I really, I, I, never, I never trained with a group. I never trained for a marathon. So speed was never my thing. I've, I've done like three speed workouts my whole life. And instead, I, I was just going longer and longer. And that seemed to be where I was feeling accomplished was longer distance, longer distances. And the 50 miler, the ultra thing kind of came in by chance. I, uh, again, was, was playing with this idea of getting out of this party hard lifestyle. And a lot of that was wrapped up in kind of my idea of masculinity and what it meant to, yeah, to be a man. Like I had grown up where that was, that was prevalent in the world I grew up in. And I went up to Leadville, no, Silverton, Colorado for just a trip, a, a weekend trip up in the mountains. And it happened to be the weekend of Hard Rock. And I just came into town in Silverton and there were all of these amazing ultra running machines. And it, right away, I just saw, I was like, well, there's another model of what it could be to be a man. And it, it, just, it's, it just resonated with me. And from there, I went home, actually on the ride home, I had Shelly on her phone looking up what it would take to get into hard rock. This is my naivety. Like, I've never run one. I'm like, I'll just run hard rock. That That's sounds tough, great. Yeah. Tough yeah. to get in. <laughs> so what we looked and we started finding what the qualifying races were for hard rock. One of them was um, the um, Cruel Jewel in northeast Georgia. I think Paul Terranova, some of y'all might know him. He won the 100 miler this year. Uh, so I found that if I did the 50 miler, that would get me so that I could do, then do the 100 miler and then I would qualify for hard rock. <laughs> so that just started the slow progression. And I actually ran Austin Marathon that year, just keeping my mileage, increasing mileage, but not speeding up was what I was doing. And uh, ran the Austin Marathon as a training run, ran Hell's Hills, actually 50K would have been my first ultra. And then went to Georgia, first uh, 50 miler was actually a 57 mile race with 17,500 feet, 17, feet of gain. So just out of night. That's a lot for those listening <laughs> at home. Yeah, so it just happened. I, did, I had no idea what I was getting into. I thought it was going to take nine and a half hours, and <laughs> I got out there, and it took 16. I remember at the, like the nine-hour mark, I just sat down on a tree and cried. I was like, I just cannot continue. And eventually you get up and you keep going. And that's really, I think, through that, that suffering, that's where you feel accomplished at the end. If it wasn't for that, what would, what would the point be in some of this stuff? Like, you, you got to go through the hard to feel good about it afterwards. Did you do the 100 after that? I've never done 100 miles. I haven't gotten to the 100 no, yet. I've Just done 100K. Straight to running across the U.S. Yeah, I did the Bandera 100K <laughs> this year training, and, but no 100 miler yet. So talk about the genesis of this idea to run from L.A. to New York. Yeah, so uh, again, was in the restaurant industry, uh, definitely not plant-based. Uh, Buffaline is a wonderful restaurant, lots of mozzarella, lots of really good food. Um, but coming out of that, it was the first time in my adult life that I had the opportunity to choose my food all the time because I had been in a situation where I had to eat at work a lot. Uh, we were eating vegetarian at home prior to leaving the restaurants, but we left, we moved to Denver, and I was making all of our meals and we were eating strictly vegetarian. And right before we moved, I had read uh, Eat and Run by Scott Jurek. And so I knew that if I went plant-based, there was some advantages to it. But I was still grappling with that. But at the same time, I was looking towards what I wanted to do next with my life. And I really wanted to make something in environmentalism. That was what was really mattering to me. 
Right as I left the restaurants, I went down to St. John in the U.S. Virgin Islands. I lived down there in my early 20s, and this was just after the Hurricane Maria and Irma hit. And I went to help friends, like kind of a relief effort. And it was pretty apparent that these storms were much bigger than they should have been. And it, it all felt very much to do with climate change. So coming back, I was, again, that just got me in this mindset of something environmental, something environmental. But at the same time, I was increasing my running, and I was thinking about getting into solar or possibly wildland firefighting. But with all of these thoughts, I was like, well, when am I going to run? I'm really into this running thing. And as I made the switch to plant-based and was getting there, I became clear that that was a huge thing you could do for environmental like change. Uh, from now, now I understand completely. The UN statistics say that 14.5% of carbon emissions come from, from animals, from, from feeding and, and growing livestock. That's, that's larger than transportation. It's a big thing. And as individuals, it's one of the biggest things you can do to make a stance with global warming. Uh, so that was all coming together in my head, and I went down to the Copper Canyon to run the Caballo Blanco 50. And while I was down there, just a lot, I saw people that were not elite athletes, but had made their life about running. So coming back on my first run, all these things just kind of lined up. I was like, okay, I can run across the country. That'll help solidify me as a, as a runner. And if I'm going to do it, I got to do it for something. And what really matters to me? And it was environmental, and I already had this foot in the food world, and it just came together. It was Let's do this to promote a plant-based lifestyle because that will help the environment. It'll help people's health. And it's what I'm going to need to do to get across the country. But where did the idea of running across the U.S. come in? I mean, yeah. there's, okay. there's a lot of things you can do for that cause without running 3,175 miles. The, the, while I was in the Copper Canyon, I met a guy named Patrick Sweeney. Uh, Patrick Sweeney ran across the country in 2015. Chance meeting, only talked to him for a couple minutes, but the one thing he said to me is, hey, I ran across the country in 2015. And at that point, I had never even contemplated it, nor knew anyone had done it. And when I met him, though, I just, I kind of sized him up. And I was like, this is just a regular old guy. If he could do that, maybe I could do that. And it was just had a huge sense of, a, of the magnitude of it really mattered to me. If I was going to do something to make a stand, environmental stand, through this plant-based advocacy, it, I wanted it to be big. And to me, there was nothing bigger than this. And then there was also in there, as I was making the transition to plant-based, a lot of friends and family were concerned about my well-being. And they were like, you, you really need meat for, for strength. You need that. If you're going to run this much, you can't give up meat. And knowing that that wasn't true, the magnitude of this would help prove that. And that was kind of why this something so big came into the picture. Jackie. What did you think when he told you about this crazy idea? <laughs> um, I got excited about it. I mean, I was just heading off to the Appalachian Trail when you had told us that. We had just started planning our 2,200-mile trek. And um, so I definitely knew it was possible to traverse a long distance on foot. And <laughs> I knew a lot of things needed to come into place before that happened. But I was, I was definitely excited. And... And I, yeah, I was like, count me in. <laughs> like, because he was like, I'm going to need some spreadsheets and some of your analytical uh, side. So I'm like, okay. And once I got the spreadsheets going, it started to really solidify. And that was kind of right after I got off the trail because I kind of couldn't really help while I was hiking. But once I got off, which was the day before Thanksgiving of 2018, um, it was go time for, for getting stuff into place. You had the idea. You say on March 15th, 2018, left for the Transcon run. 
March 16th, 2019. So you had a year and a day to get ready. Talk about that year. What did it look like in planning? Yeah, so once I decided to do it, the first thing was, okay, well, how am I gonna make this happen? Uh, I, I understood that it would be good to have a partner to do this um, and started looking around and building. First, I built a, a kind of a plan, a proposal, and I, I drove down here to Austin and Clara uh, over here, <clears throat> her and her husband, Chris, Jackie, Jackie's mom and dad, they, they sat down with me and for three days we built just this plan that I was going to then present to sponsors, people I wanted to work with. And through that, I found Natamu. Uh, Natamu, I knew Daniel, the CEO, just from around here in Austin. And through their social media, I noticed that they were, they were taking stances on plant-based advocacy. And obviously, that's what I wanted to do with this. So I gave Daniel a call. And what I thought would be a 30-minute conversation was an hour and a half. I was just bouncing ideas. So that really got the ball rolling as far as it gave me the financial means to make this happen. And from there, that took a long time. There were some doors shut in my face. And, and, and I had to look at that with each door that was shut in my face was it just proved that that wasn't the right person. Instead of getting down on myself, it was like, okay, that proves that's not the right partner. And then when I, it became clear that that was the case when I did find Nautamu because the synergy was just perfect. It, it felt right. Um, and again, that took a long time. I think we ended up announcing I was going to do this on my birthday on October 1st. So that gave me, I don't know, six months or so. Um, and from there, it was the plan was I would run a six, I think it was six or seven ultras between then and when I left for the run to promote. And for me, the idea was to normalize 50 miles. I did a lot of 50 milers, 100, 100K at Bandera. And it was just let me normalize this distance. So as far as training, I started right on March 15th was of 2018. I went ahead and started training. I didn't wait till I had a sponsor for that. Um, and my idea with that was I spent about three or four months running 10 miles every day, taking every 15th day off. And that I just wanted to prove to myself I could run every day. And at that time, 10 miles a day, that was, that was a lot for me. And then the second phase was another three months of 100 to 110 mile weeks, maintaining at least 10 miles a day, just ramping it up. And then the third phase was when we got into all of these 50 mile races. And so I would run a 50 miler, I'd take a day or two to recover, try to get back on running again, and then two weeks later do another 50 miler. So with that, it was again, normalizing the distance and hitting it at race pace, knowing that when I set out to do this, I would slow down and hopefully be able to just stack them day after day. So that's training. What else, though, is involved in planning this? I mean, we, oh. we talked about the sponsor. Wow. Yeah. There's logistics, there's expenses, there's planning diet. Yeah. What else is involved? Yeah, so with that, it all kind of came together on Christmas. Uh, we were all here, uh, and I was starting to freak out a little bit because the planning wasn't coming together uh, just on my own. I just was having a hard time. And that was the first time that I really understood how much a team mattered and that this wasn't just going to be a solo thing. It was going to take a group of people to help me. And um, the whole Howard clan, we sat down around the kitchen table and just started chopping different pieces off to different people. And the first one that I was really had a lot of anxiety about was the route. It was like, how, what route are we going to take that's going to keep me safe and is going to maximize exposure and where the hell are we going where are we starting and where are we going to finish because uh, you can easily you can go and you can do this in about 2600 miles uh, or you can look at the map and go no i'm going to go from la to new york and make it 3200 and when i saw that that was definitely was appealing to me because there was no doubt 
with doing that, you ran across the country. Uh, and luckily, really quick with some Google searches, we found that there was a race in 2011 that a handful of people set out on, and they had left really good PDFs of their route. So from there, we, uh, we put that in onto Strava routes and broke it down into day-by-day -day segments. So that was a big part of it. Um, the other was, was how are we going to get everyone across? It was not just me. It was going to be a full crew. So we had to come up with, with vehicles to make this happen. And we, we looked at all options. There was getting a, a full-on like Winnebago-style thing. There was uh, more like sprinter vans. And finally, we settled on I bought a camper. And my old employer and business partner, Stephen Dilley at Bufalina, <clears throat> lent me his van that we could pull this camper with. And so we had the vehicles together and then we wrapped them um, with logos from Nautamu and then an auxiliary uh, sponsor that came on late in the game, Switch for Good, which is an anti-dairy campaign. They wrapped the camper. And the point in that was to provide a focal point so that we, as we went across the country, it would drum up people's interest and they would want to talk to us so we could talk about the mission of why we were doing this. So that was those things. And then there was the biggest part, which was nutrition. And that was where I knew someone that had a lot more uh, <laughs> experience and understanding of that than I did. And so Jackie came in, the spread, spreadsheet queen she is, and like within 24 hours, I was like, oh, I'm going to be okay. All right. <laughs> she had it all dialed down. I mean, calorie by calorie, what I was going to eat when, and that provided the confidence I needed. Because the biggest thing in anything like this is fuel. We all know that. You're running a marathon, anything you're running, if your fuel gets off, you could have trained just perfectly and you miss a gel or you do something wrong in a marathon and it's it's gone so in this it needed to be dialed in even to a bigger degree so that's where jackie really came in so talk about that jackie how did you yeah. plan it yeah so um i mean i kind of took the template that i used for planning my own um hike across uh, on the appalachian trail to start with but i knew it was going to look different and i knew he didn't have to um take into consideration weight so that was a whole different like I'm like oh you can have cans of coconut milk I could never take that with me in my backpack um so um we started kind of just figuring out and I kind of did some research on how many calories per day he might need and I knew it wouldn't start off at seven or eight thousand and that it would probably ramp up and we'd probably start around four thousand calories a day building up and I had kind of just like versions of like this is the meal plan for 4,000 calories this is the meal plan for 6,000 calories 8,000 10,000 because it was kind of unknown and you kind of have to be in the moment and reading like his energy levels and his um his needs in the and see how that ramp up would go and that was kind of unknown so I made different plans for that um I knew that drinking calories was going to be a huge component of it and that was something like initially I was like okay like you're probably not going to drink a lot of solo water like every time you're drinking you're going to have to be consuming calories and that was something that Robbie was like no way like I'm going to definitely want to drink water like <laughs> and then like day one you're like oh yeah. <laughs> yeah there were a couple of things that Jackie said you're going to do this and I was like no I'm not I won't need to do that that was one was not I we, we I never drank water I had like two cups the whole time I think I barely brushed my teeth with water it almost turned into scratch, <laughs> scratch. Too. and the other one that I, she said we're going to stop every five miles yeah to crew you and I was like nah 10 15 no she you're goes, like 15 20 15 20 she's like no we're going to start with five I needed that I, I if it would have been 10 I would have cried like every day it needed to be five yeah, I knew it would, I knew about every hour he was going to need a dose of 
of nutrition and to be checked on. And so I was like, okay, about five miles is about. So I, I did a lot of just kind of breaking down what each day would look like. What, like, what is the morning routine? What time are we getting going? And like, how many hours are we talking about on your feet? How many breaks? And just kind of making like, you know, best case scenario, worst case scenario. Um, and then kind of adapting the calories for that. And, and so we, I made smoothies were a big part of it. Scratch was a big part of it. So he was drinking a lot of scratch, probably a thousand calories of scratch every day, which is a lot. Um, but he's a sweat, he's a big sweater. So I knew that that would be okay. Electrolytes too. Yeah. yeah. How are you thinking about macronutrients and getting the right balance there? Yeah. Um, I didn't put too much emphasis on that. I knew that he, it was going to be a high carb, high fat, um, situation and I didn't put a whole lot of emphasis on protein because I knew if he was getting enough varied calories that the protein would fall into place. Um, Soylent is something that we used in his smoothies four times a day, five times a day, four times a day. Um, and that covers like everything. And so I kind of knew he was getting like a lot of vitamins and nutrients that that way, micronutrients. Um, and as far as the macros go, it was just like Carbs, fat, carbs, fat, like at any chance we could get. Whatever he would take, it was kind of, okay, now here you go. Here you have it. Like, What types of foods are we talking about, the solid foods? So we had cold pasta, um, sometimes hot pasta. It was mostly cold, but yeah. <laughs> um, boiled potatoes with salt. Um, we did a vegan quesadilla, which was a hit. Um, we did some sandwiches some banh mi's before he got sick of bread and then bread was no yeah. no go we did tofu hummus and cilantro they fed it to me every way possible yeah so it was just <laughs> no more I, I can't it took quite a while to get beans, back on the hummus we, train we did some beans yeah, beans, and and then yeah, yeah. beans and rice and then um what else did we do so you're solid and fruit a lot of fruit a lot of fruit, lot of fruit. so we were doing kind Peanut of throughout butter. the day i started the morning with uh, this hearty thing of oatmeal with maple syrup, bananas, chia seeds, and powdered peanut butter mixed in, and that and a cup of coffee. Five miles in, I would have my first smoothie, one of these 4,000-calorie smoothies, 4,000-calorie. 1,000. I did four of them a day. Um, <laughs> and then the next stop would be a bowl of fruit or some cold pasta, potatoes, something like that, another smoothie, and I'll do this out throughout the day. And then in between... Uh, if I was feeling any dips, I had uh, spring energy gels, which um, worked really well. The, just the type of sugar you're getting in that, you don't really spike as much. It's more longevity or like long form. And they're form. like two calor 200 calories. 200 gels. calories, yeah. There's one called the Speed Nut that was 250 calories with 50 milligrams of caffeine or something like that. Caffeine came into play a lot, uh, <laughs> lots of caffeine by the end. And then at the end of the day, it was an outdoor herbivore. It's a, it's a freeze-dried camper meal that we would rehydrate with coconut milk. And then I'd have one beer and some Nottomoo ice cream. And that was, that was how the day kind of progressed. Cap it off. Well yeah. done. So talk about how your days went out there. What was the typical schedule? So starting off in the beginning, we were getting up earlier than we did by the end because we were getting more daylight as we progressed through this. It was hot in California. Yeah, it was super hot too. So we were getting up 5, 5.30, I think there. And we would get in miles, stopping every five miles. Those first few weeks in the, in the heat going through the Mojave Desert, we would take a midday break a lot of days where I would sleep for 45 minutes and then take 15 minutes to regroup and get back out on the road. And in the beginning... So up until day 20, 
three, no, yeah, no, day 19, we were fluctuating the mileage. Every day it would range from 28 miles a day to 52 miles. And it was. We were copying the segments exactly from the yeah. foot race. Yeah. And that played such a, it was just mental torture. Because uh, I couldn't look beyond like a day or two ahead. So I'd be in the middle of a day. It'd be like a 46 mile day. It was super hot. And I'd come in. I'd be like, guys, what do I have tomorrow? And just seeing the defeat on the crew's face of having to tell me tomorrow's 52 miles. And. It, that just played such a toll. It took such a toll on my mind. And on day 19, I, I uh, was dealing with tendonitis in my right, or right ankle and just extreme exhaustion hit. And these things compiled to where I broke mentally, physically, everything just fell apart. I was on the phone with Shelly, my fiance. I was crying so hard, snot was coming out of my nose. Like I was just done. And uh, dragging my leg, like I had, I had, couldn't even use it with the tendonitis. And I came into the 15 mile stop, and the crew insisted that I go ahead and take a two hour nap. They were like, "You cannot go any further." Took a two hour nap to find I couldn't even walk. So we took the rest of the day off. Actually, ended up taking day 20 off. That was the one day I took off the whole 75 days. Um, and after that, we balanced the schedule. And every day after that was 45 miles. Just 45 miles. So. It, it, it really gave a gauge of how long it was taking me and it would take anywhere with uh, with heavy grade and heavy heat. It was taking upwards of 15 hours a day down to about 11 hours a day near the end. But we were able to establish routine, yeah, which I think was the really routine, important through, yeah. so that he like he knew like at five miles, I get smoothie at 10 miles, I get fruit at 15 miles, I get this. And it was just it became a much more routine. Predictable. Yeah. How much sleep are you getting? Sleep was, whew, sleep is a thing. Uh, starting off in the beginning, I really didn't, I, I didn't account for recovery and sleep. I just assumed if you run all day, you're, you're just going to fall asleep. It's not really a problem. But the pains in my legs did not allow it. I think the first, in the first week, I think I got a total of 10 to 12 hours of sleep. It was just not happening. Immense pain in my, in my quads and in my, my glutes. Um, and eventually we figured out a cocktail of things that would allow me to sleep. One was this company called Pure Power. They're out of Colorado Springs and they make uh, supplements. They do three a day, a morning, a midday, and, a, and one to fall asleep. And it's mushrooms and herbs and stuff. And they sent them out and it was, we kind of joked about it. Me and Elliot, one of my crew members, yeah. we were like, okay, let's just play with these little pills they're giving us. And day two, I just started sleeping so much better. It was a combination of that and CBD oil. Um, Hemp Daddy is a company out of here in Austin. They provided me with some CBD. And the combination of those two and actually two Tylenol, which is something I don't usually use, but in this application, it, it, it was just necessary. And with those, I started getting, I was hoping for eight hours a night. It would end up being between six and eight. So did it get easier yes. as you went? You talked about that first week being really rough and then day 19 hitting that wall. So how did that, how did the feelings progress as you went? Yeah, um, physically, I did get a lot stronger as I progressed. And I do give a lot of that to the plant-based diet. Uh, everything I was putting in my body was building it up instead of tearing it down. And yeah, I was, I was jiving. I was going. I was like, I'm just getting faster and faster every day. And then in West Virginia, we hit the Appalachian Mountains. And it just fell right apart again. Um, and got really challenging again. And then we got through the Appalachians and finished strong coming in, in to the finish. But yeah, progressively, I was just, my fitness level was increasing. As I went, my body was realigning. There were two kind of markers early on that I was told by people who, the like two people I knew who had done this before, 
Um, one was if I could make it through the first two weeks without sustaining like a show stopping injury, I would probably be okay on injuries. And then the second being a, right at about the month mark, it would get a little bit easier. And it definitely like day 28, it just kind of fell in line. Everything became a lot more predictable. My body started to align and then it was just, okay, we got to get this done. And then from there, a lot more, it became where the first part was physical and mental. Then it became mental, much more mental of just the longevity of this, of this feat of doing this. Like, you know, you're at the halfway mark. Um, some, some of my crew that was out in the, in the middle are, are here tonight. And um, I remember we were all celebrating. We were at the halfway mark. And it was so cool. We were halfway done. But in the same breath, I was like, <laughs> I'm only halfway done. I've got like over a month to go here. And so it really became the mental part of just getting up every day and just doing it again, doing it again. Jackie, I know you spent some time with him on the crew, some time at home mm-hmm. coordinating from remotely. In some ways, being a crew member is harder <laughs> than, than running, <laughs> right? Because... Because you're up earlier yeah, and you're, you're, earlier, and you're more to do. cleaning up the dishes after he's asleep. <laughs> so talk about that part of it. What was it like as a crew member? What was that grind like? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're up before he is. Oh, Elliot really, Elliot was a crew member that was there the entire time and he took breakfast shift every day which was awesome. God bless you, Elliot, wherever <laughs> yes, you are. thank you, Elliot. Um, so he woke up early and made him his coffee and oatmeal and woke up Robbie. Although I sometimes gave him the second wake up because <laughs> I was like, he hasn't gone to the bathroom yet. Get up. <laughs> uh, so sometimes he needed a little a second nudge in the morning. And then um, you have to get yourself ready and get him ready. So it was like packing his pack, making sure that his water bottles are filled with scratch, making sure that he's got a couple gels and maybe a snack bar in his backpack, that his GPS tracker has batteries that are working, and then you send him off. And maybe sometimes we, sometimes we wouldn't sleep where we were, um, where he finished, so we would have to drive him to his start place. And then at that point, two or three of us would start getting his smoothies ready for the day. Um, maybe one of us would go to the grocery store. I mean, it was errands constantly. Maybe we were doing laundry that day, trying to find a laundromat in the next town, having two cars, making, there's a lot of camper maintenance that I wasn't even like a part of. Joe Winery gets a big shout out in the, in the audience there. Cause he did some of that. And my dad did a lot of that. Um, but it was like emptying the gray water and like making sure the battery was always charged and driving it without backing it up. And I mean, it was a whole thing. Um, so yeah, all that was happening behind the scenes. And then we were also running with Robbie to keep him company. So we would have to like, make sure that we were like ready and fed ourselves and, you know, ready to go and that it would align well with the time that he wanted us to run with him. <laughs> like sometimes he didn't want company and sometimes he's like, I need company. And we're like, um, okay, me or you. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, it was, um, yeah, it was a lot of behind the scenes errands and coordinating with each other and figuring out the route for the next day. Oh, and then like people want to join up with him. And so then they message me on Instagram and or message him on Instagram. And so I'm like trying to intercept all these messages to predict where he's going to be at what highway or what town and what day. And they're asking like two weeks in advance. And I'm like, um, today in five miles, we'll be there. <laughs> I don't know about next week. But so that was always kind of a challenge and easier to do remotely than when you're actually on the ground. Did you have a meal plan for the crew? So we did kind of start out with some idea of that. Um, and we did like when there was four, the four of us that were kind of together, 
when I was on there, my parents, Elliot and myself, we kind of coordinated. We would have oatmeal together after we sent Robbie off. Elliot and I would usually have smoothies also after we ran with Robbie. And then, so we would make smoothies for ourselves when we would make Robbie his smoothies. And then some, we would just kind of, depending, a lot of times, like I would end up doing the later shift running with Robbie. So Elliot might make dinner for us or my parents might make dinner if I was out running. So it was just kind of, figure yeah, it out as you figure go. Figure it out as you go. It was a lot of just coordinating on the fly. <laughs> While you were running, you're doing the easy part. Yeah. Yeah. So let's when, talk about Yeah, that when I was running with him, I was like, Oh, this is so much easier <laughs> than being on the crew. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the moments. You mentioned the one challenging moment of hitting the wall at day nineteen. What were other challenging moments? Yeah, physically, uh there were two major hurdles. One being day seven ish, I think. Uh I got I got shin splints mm-hmm. uh in my in my left leg. Left or right? One was one, and then tendonitis was the other. And anyone that's had shin splints, it's awful. Uh, it, scared, it scared the shit out of me. Uh, I came in from a night where I had a pretty big day. I think it was day eight. And it had been like well over a 52, 53-mile day. Big day. And it took a really long time. It was late into the night. And I knew going into this that I could never push too far. You always had to keep a little bit in reserves for the next day. But I hit a point of fatigue and tired of being out there that I kind of went into that zombie race mode that you get into in ultras where you just disregard what damage you might be doing and you just push forward, push forward. And through that, I got done that night and I pretty much knew. I was like, something's really wrong with, with my, in my shin. Woke up in the morning to two or three lumps in the shin. So that was kind of the first big physical hurdle and with that, we overcame it in like five days, I think. And that was a switching shoes, going from a zero drop shoe, finding that that is just really not the right shoe for this application. I'd been running in ultras for years, been a great shoe. Got into this to find you really, you want that drop. You want to be able to just kind of push yourself along with it. Hoka was really nice. They sent out a couple pairs of the Bondi sixes, what I have on now. And with the added cushion and that drop, we were, we were making some progress. And then found also that in order to overcome it, I needed to switch from crew socks into ankle socks. That made the biggest difference, allowing that mobility in the ankle. Um, Got through that. That was one of the bigger physical hurdles. And then again, day 19 hit, tendonitis, which then required kind of the opposite. I had to wrap my leg with an ace bandage and um, to lower mobility. And another four or five days of limping along, we were able to overcome that. So physically, those were kind of the two big, big hurdles I had to overcome emotionally mentally being away from home that long really took its toll um while i was out there just i i i got engaged right before i left and was in a really good place with my fiance and here i was like all right we'll see you you know she was able to come out when she could but it wasn't the whole time she she had just started a new job as a nurse so being away from home took a toll and while i was out there my dog uh contracted uh, diabetes and not being there for that experience like tore me up that was one of the harder things um yeah and then the hardest part of the day every day was waking up just facing the day to know though i knew i was doing something that i wanted to do i had worked harder at making sure i could attempt this than anything in my life it's still there's times it's miserable there's times you're just so tired and waking up every morning to face that reality was definitely the most challenging moment of the day. 
So let's talk about some of the cool moments. Yeah. What were some of the funny or cool or beautiful moments yeah. of the trip? Well, starting off the first day uh, was really just a, a big boost and heartwarming. I had a big group of people just show up, most of which were complete strangers in Huntington Beach and ran me out of Huntington Beach. That was a that was a big a big bump in morale to start it off. One of them being Rich Roll. Anyone follows him, listens to him. It's a small podcast. I yes, hear. small podcast. Uh, he was there. No one told me. I uh, was I was actually I was doing an interview with like a local news station, like a camera interview, and I'm just jiving. I was doing a great job, and I I just happened to look over the guy's shoulder, and there was Rich Roll, and I just froze. The guy. <laughs> The guy asking me, the inter- they was interviewing me, he was he got to the last question when this happened, and he goes, so what would you say to everybody watching? And I just, I saw Rich Roll, and I was like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> finally I go, follow your dreams. The stupidest <laughs> thing I could say. Um, so then we hit the road, and, and he, he stayed with me for the first seven or eight miles, and that was just big. For me, he was someone that I found. Why- so when I started this, I didn't realize that plant-based advocacy was a thing. I thought I would just like reinvented the wheel. I, I was not aware that any of this existed and that people such as Rich Roll or John Joseph or any of these guys existed and then found that out. And really, he started giving me a lot of, um, I don't know, just listen to his podcast like they do for everybody. They're just, they're, they're thought-provoking. They're inspiring. So having him out there was really big in the beginning. Um, there were a lot of great moments. Uh, Navajo. The Navajo Nation, that really touched me. I uh, was not expecting it to be as profound or as big as it was. Uh, it's the size of West Virginia. It took us eight days to get through. We started in Arizona and got all the way into New Mexico, staying in the Navajo Nation. The Navajo people are amazing, amazing humans. They were very supportive. The, the, the land was beautiful. It got to where I was be running and somebody would pull over and take a photo of me. And I'd walk, I'd come up, how's it going? There was one guy in particular, this guy, Wendell. So Wendell, uh, I come up, he's like, I had to get a, come get a picture of you. Uh, my, my wife told me if I saw the bearded white man, I had to stop and take a photo. And uh, that was just, it was really beautiful. They were just really, really supportive. That, that carried me a long way. So there was a long time, those two things. Rich Roll got me through a good bit of it, having that cameo in the beginning. And then coming out of the Navajo Nation, I just felt, they're so connected to their land and that in so much of it was environmentalism and they were honored that I was running through their, 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 their territory, their land. And it, it meant a lot. Uh, those were really big. And then in the middle, it was really nice. I uh, had a, a group of my buddies come out and it was just a lot of cutting up and laughter. Um, that was a lot of fun. And then a lot of strangers yeah all just the connections I, I i went into this being kind of a pessimistic timid person when it t- like timid person when it came to interacting with people i didn't know um and i think a lot of that came from years in the restaurant industry and just kind of fatigue of that and had put myself in a little insular bubble by myself and with those that i knew and loved and in this all of a sudden i would just come you know i'm tired i'm exhausted mid to, middle of the day and i come into a to a stop and I'd see some random people standing there and I'm not going to lie every, just about every time for the first half I'd go, Oh shit. And then as soon as I'd start talking to them, they just, it reinvigorated me and made me realize that people are fantastic. They're fascinating. And that just carried me so far and it still does. And there was so much that I learned through that of to put my phone down, not being engaged with my device all the time. That was a huge deal. And to, Trust that people are good 
and that they have something to bring to the table and that they will most likely leave you in shock and awe of how cool they are. Um, so that, just those random people throughout. And coming towards the end, it got to where it was kind of a Forrest Gump thing, where every morning there was a trail of people running with me, and that was, that was fun. As a crew member, what kind of interactions did you have, Jackie, yeah, out there? The crew, the crew had a lot of interactions because we were with the van and the camper, so it was, um, we'd always have to kind of make friends with whoever's parking lot we were stopped in, so whether it was a gas station or a church or a school or whatever, we would go up and be like, hey, is it cool if we park here for an hour? And then we'd tell what was going on, and they would in immediately be like so interested and that was really interesting for me because I, there were no naysayers like veganism is not that i i didn't think it was as mainstream but everybody had something to say like oh my niece is dairy free and or like and tell me about this or i've heard you know i've heard that it's good for the environment or they would everybody had something to bring to the table or they knew a little bit and they wanted to know more and they asked questions and were curious and so that was just really cool and it was also really neat to have ice cream to give away because <laughs> it was like thank you not a move <laughs> yeah um it was just like this like immediate like peace offering like hey we're an ice cream truck this is awesome <laughs> so like ice cream was a really easy bridge to like so we'd always offer people ice cream and um and they loved it of course and yeah so that was also really fun um yeah sometimes it was tiring because it was like oh we have stuff to do and we so, like we kind of look around and take turns like okay who's going to talk to this person while the other people make the food robbie's about to come in um but yeah so and it was it was always a grab bag there's always sorts of different people <laughs> so many different types yeah so robbie i heard you were collecting things on the journey license plates being one of them so tell us about your new license plate collection I've got a lot of them. Yeah. Has anyone's license plate ever just fallen off their car? I, 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 don't, know I, know when, I don't know when this happens. Like in all my years, no one's ever come home or a friend been like, yeah, I drove across the country and my license plate was just not there when I got done. But apparently this happens all the time because they were everywhere. Um, yeah, I found, I think, 35, I think is the final count. Yeah. Most of them being state license plates, some being like, stay away from my truck or you're not, you know, just crazy stuff um kind of on a little bit off of that but something that was really interesting was the 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 amount of uh like litter on the west coast california new mexico or arizona new mexico it was insane and in 90 percent of it was fireball whiskey nips the little shots i'm i'm not kidding 90 percent within wow. a within a block hundreds in some places the weirdest thing i could not believe it and then other random things i found like a rubber bat like a like a like bats we have here in austin a rubber bong um there were all kinds of just random little things that trinkets, we just trinkets yeah. um yeah little things here and there but a lot of license plates how many states do you have in that license plate collection do you know i'm not sure i don't have one from every state i went through but i have like some from Florida, um, all over the place. I think I got a Florida one in Oklahoma. So. Speaking of funny things, can we talk about beard maintenance for a second? <laughs> because obviously you have an amazing beard. I'm not a beard guy. I don't think I could grow that if I wanted to, but I can't imagine maintaining that thing on a cross-country run. Yeah, I didn't do a very what, what good job. What were your secrets? 
some days there was none. It would be matted. To one. I'd, I'd like get a selfie or go to do, because I tried to do like morning updates and evening updates. They, they started to wane near the end and they became one every day, one every couple of days. But I'd go to do them in the morning and be like, oh my God. And like everything would just be to one side. Um, uh, Jacob Garcia, I think he was aware of this. He was watching me on Instagram or something because when he showed up, he brought beard oil. And like right away was like, like patting it on my face in the mornings. So he was concerned. He was more concerned than I was. I think. <laughs> He's but also when, working it, on a good beard. He is. And then when I got finished, though, um, Shelly, my fiance, was very concerned about my beard. I got up the morning after uh, in New York City and we got coffee and went straight to the barbershop. She, there was nowhere else we were heading. She like, care, like walked me like a child to the, to the, to the so, barber. To trim it? To, yeah, ma- to get it in, to get it, get it in order? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And the guy started cutting my hair and it was the fastest haircut I've ever had. And I was like, this is going to be great or this is going to be terrible. And uh, luckily I think it worked out. But yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about what you learned about yourself. Obviously doing a journey like this is huge. You talked about the physical challenges, the mental challenges. I would imagine there's a lot of time where you're just sitting there being introspective and thinking about you, your life. What did you learn? Yeah, that was interesting. Um, it was interesting because while I was out there, I couldn't make sense of it. People would ask me, you know, like, oh, what, what, what profound thoughts have you had? And the reality was, is as I was doing it, I understood that there was a lot happening. There was a lot emotionally, uh, internally changing and realigning, but I couldn't put my my finger on it. And I'll be honest to this day, I'm, I know I'm not done with that, but it's definitely some things are starting to come in line. Um, I definitely have a lot more confidence in myself as a person. Uh, I think it's as trivial and easy as in any conversation at the end of the day, I can be like, I ran across the country. Like, did you do that? <laughs> but uh, even a pretty good Trump card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I, I, th- I understand that my, my capabilities are limitless if you put you set your mind and that's not just me that's anyone you set your mind to something you can do it we can all do anything you can manifest anything into reality and that's that's empowering that's something now that i i i'm still grappling with that makes it really hard to understand what's next you know when you really i i when when i decided to do this it became a dream it became like the only thing that mattered to me and now it's one of those things that once you accomplish something that is your dream it kind of leaves you in a weird place because now you know you can follow your dreams. So you really, it opens doors, but it also kind of makes you a little uneasy. Cause Scary, right? Yeah, it, it definitely is. Um, physically, I am a completely different being than I was when I started. My, my level of conditioning now that my legs have healed, I don't understand it. Like, I, I really don't. Um, it, it, I have a level of fitness that I've never experienced. So through that, I definitely understand that I've just hit the tip of the iceberg of what I can do um, um, as far as endurance and then maybe even outside of it. I don't know. But I just know that I want to continue to try to do more. I definitely learned along the way that there's no, you never, there's no final spot you're trying to achieve in life. I think in this, as I planned it, I thought, well, I'm going to do this thing and then life's going to be grand and I will have accomplished and everything will just float through life after that. And that was never the case. Once I finished, it was a lot of depression. I went through a solid month of just feeling really lost and not knowing where I was going to go or what I was going to do. But the reality is, is it doesn't matter. It's just that you keep moving. And it was just like, while I was out there on the run, you just, the only thing that matters is forward progress. And to whatever degree, sometimes that's moving fast and doing something big. And sometimes it's just 
getting up every day and being the best version of yourself. Um, I've learned a lot about trying to control and understand anxiety. Um, going into this, that was a big motivator for me to run, was to overcome depression, anxieties that always creeped up in my life. And after doing this, it's not as good of a crutch because it is just what I do. I can just run now. It doesn't really provide that. So I've had to search for other ways, other practices that allow me to overcome those. And what I've found since finishing is your morning routine matters so much. Um, I'm really right now working a lot on not looking at my phone for at least an hour or two when I get up. I know not everyone's life can really allow that. Right now mine does. It's made a huge impact. Uh, hydration really matters for my overall well-being. And just really starting to understand that life is a journey that is never going to end. I'm never going to reach a spot of perfection, but it's all about striving to find perfection and continuing to work towards a goal. Goals matter. When you don't have a goal, it doesn't always have to be a marathon. It doesn't have to be something running or something physical, but you need to be working towards something or you're, I don't know. You're just, you're a sheep at that point. Last question from me, then we'll open it up. What is next? How, I mean, you may not know yet, but what have you thought about as your next step? Um, I definitely want to continue advocacy through endurance. Uh, Plant-based advocacy means the world to me. That'll always be a huge part of it. And it will probably for now continue to be the motivating factor i could see along the way it maybe being more that that's just inherently who i am and i look to other things that matter to me uh the reasons for endurance is it's long form so you don't have to shove something down people's throats they watch over time they're intrigued by you doing something big and it allows a message to resonate really enjoying riding the bike right now Um, i could see pursuing a long distance bike ride at some point kind of formulating some ideas around that but I never want to leave running behind. Uh, running and biking are similar, but they're not the same thing. Running hits something that's in our DNA. It's primal. It, it, it matters in a way that cycling's fun. It's like a runner's version of driving a race car or something. But it, uh, so it's, yeah, continuing endurance things. I really want to push myself physically. I want to help other people to push themselves too, physically and in accountability to themselves. Um, I don't know if anyone who in here, this has shown up in their world, but uh, Philip Spear, he's a chef in town, has a restaurant, Commodore, and they've just started a run club for people within the restaurant industry. And I am super inspired by what he's doing. I want to help him with that and just help lift up other people and use my platform that I've started to help things like that. How can I help him make sure that he can bring people together to stay accountable to their lifestyles and be the healthiest, best version of themselves? Anywhere I can help with that, I want to. Awesome. Quick round of applause for Robbie just for being here, for Jackie for being here. I know, I know I'm inspired. So I wanted to open it up for questions from you guys. Uh, I'm gonna, you're going to shout it to me. I'll repeat it into the mic, and they'll answer. So right here. So how did you keep yourself entertained? Totally. Um, I set off with all the headphones in the world and assumed I'd be listening to stuff the whole time. It took a while. I think it was the first month went by before I could handle the stimulation. I, my mind, my body were realigning for about the first month, and that took full focus. After that, I'd say I spent 40, 50% of the, 40% of the time probably with headphones in, uh, mainly podcasts and a couple of books on 
tape. Oh God, I sound like my mom. Um, <laughs> audio books. Uh, <laughs> and um, it's a tape, yeah. yeah tape tape, tape deck. Yeah. <laughs> Walkman on my side. Um, <laughs> but yeah, mainly podcast and audio books. Some some music. It was very niche, and it was only a couple things I ended up listening to. They kind of surprised me. Um, the Grateful Dead. A lot of the Grateful Dead. Chuck would love yeah. to hear that. Trucking. A lot of trucking. That song was like one. Of, and then Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> Lots of Jimmy Buffett. Uh, Jolly Monsing. That song will forever be the transcon for me. And I think that was just my time. I lived in the Caribbean as, in my early 20s. And it projected me there. It projected me to this like life that was not one foot in front of the other on the side of the road hour after hour. So that was kind of an escape of sorts. Yeah. All right. Other questions. Were you nervous about criticism, especially as it related to your struggles on the journey? No, I wasn't. Uh, you know, I've, I don't think I had a choice. If I was going to put myself out there on social media, it was going to have to be raw. I was using every ounce of my energy to accomplish what I was doing. I, there, I, I couldn't put on a face if I wanted to. It, it just couldn't exist. And as far as, you know, I had some people ask in retrospect, like, you cared about this plant-based thing, this, this being a huge part of this. Were you worried that if you failed, it would go back on that being the reason? And I, I didn't really. And I don't know if that was just being naive or just having enough faith in myself to do this and to accomplish it. And I knew that if something was going to stop me, it was going to be an injury. I, I knew that. Like, I had made up my mind I was going to do it. It was going to take these shin splints or tendonitis stopping me. So, no, those, I just, I had to be raw. And I knew the plant base was going to work. Did, Not, you, uh, did you face a lot of criticism? No. No. None. Honestly, none. There was, as far as people we cross paths with, there were zero naysayers about any part of what I was doing, whether it be the plant base me running across the country, people were totally on board. And as far as social media, I give 30% of my success to those who encouraged me. Like <clears throat> there, were t there were times where, especially in those first few weeks when I couldn't sleep, I would wake up and I would just peruse through comments and people's encouragement. And it, it was so big, it kept me going. There was, there was a couple of people and specific things that really resonated. There was a lady, um, her Instagram handle had the word cocoa in it. That's all I really remember. But she, um, she was diagnosed with MS 10 years ago. And um, she wrote me saying that walking was the one thing that allowed her to stay as healthy as possible through, through, her, through MS. And she had gotten into a thing where she wasn't walking because her husband was working late hours. And he, she wanted him to walk with her for safety reasons, for all her own just personal comfort. And seeing what I was doing didn't give her that excuse anymore. So she was getting out every day and staying accountable to walking. Uh, and then three quarters of the way done with my run, she messaged me. And she, that day, her son was going with her and she was going to walk 20 miles. 20 miles. Um, stuff like that. that. That, it was such a big deal. It was never a naysayer. It was the exact opposite. It was so much encouragement. Anybody out here that gave me encouragement, Thank you. Like, it's the reason I was able to do that. That's cool. Bobby, I think you had a question. Yeah. How many crew members did you have? What was the team like? Yeah, so the team, um, I started off, there were four. 
there we'll start with Elliot. Elliot was out there the the whole time. He was with me from day one till day seventy five. I met Elliot two weeks before we started uh, in the Copper Canyon in the Chihuahua Desert of Mexico. <laughs> wow. uh, we were down there for this race. We went down there to run a race right before I left for some last minute encouragement or just, you know, that's what we wanted to do. And while we were down there, Jackie was running the marathon and this tall, lanky British guy was running beside her and he saw the Nautamu hats so on the back. They say plant powered. And he made some comment to Jackie, oh, I'm, I'm plant-powered too. And I'm vegan too. Yeah. And he's like, we'll talk about it later. And the next day we were in a little internet cafe and in walks this tall, lanky British guy. And one thing led to another. He was traveling up from South America, making his way up to America. He had never been to the States before. I don't know what was said. Somebody said, oh, well, he's running across the country. You want to go? And he's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> and two weeks before you left. Two weeks before we left. Oh Twenty gosh. minute conversation. Next time we saw him was in Huntington Beach. He showed up, and I didn't know how long he was staying. I didn't know the guy. Jackie finally kind of got him away from me and was like, "Hey, how long are you planning on staying?" And he's like, oh, "I thought I'd stay the whole time." <laughs> <laughs> and so we all just were like, "Well, let's do this." And luckily, it worked out. He was a really nice guy. He put me first all the time. Um, I was. <clears throat> That was really great. And then Jackie and Chris and Clara, they were there. Jackie was there for about two weeks. And then Shelly, my fiance, came out. Jackie had to leave. Chris and Clara stayed for 32 days, I believe. And about that time, uh, Jacob Garcia showed up, Joe Winery, Nick Ackerman. And we marched along for about 10 days, I think it was. And then uh, right after that, I had two other friends come out. And then we wrapped it up again Your with the cousin. original. Oh, my cousin Dusty came out as well. Shelly, was, my fiance, was coming in and out and some through there. And another buddy, uh, Trip Davis, he came out. So I just kind of have to name them off. I can't remember the exact number. And then we rounded it back out. A bunch out. of buddies in the bunch middle. A bunch of buddies in the middle. <laughs> Family yeah. in the front. Family in the front <laughs> in the end. And then a bunch of guys in the middle. And, uh, and then we rounded out the last 20 or so days again with Chris and Clara, Jackie, and Elliot. But it was and always like three or four it was three anywhere between three and six my yeah. mom was out there as well for a while so yeah between three and six people the whole time awesome bobby you got a follow-up <laughs> yeah. what'd you learn about family connection community yeah um i spent my whole adult life being fiercely independent like oof, god such a degree um and in this I was quickly just left without that ability. I mean, I had to rely on everyone around me and <clears throat> trusting that is going back to the question earlier about what did I learn from this is to, is to having the trust and the ability to ask for help and to accept it go just means so much. And to know that you can depend on each other, like that was huge. Just that, that understanding. And then, you know, on a personal level for those around me, I mean, how often do you get the opportunity to spend such a, a, a large amount of time and such a monumental time and such a raw time with your soon-to-be in-laws? And, like, it, it's beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, was, it, it was a really touching, deep experience on that level from, again, the in-laws, the family, and the friends, too. Uh, could not have done it without them. And just, you know... It was great to have the layers and the variants of it being family and then having the friends out. And it, it created different dynamics and it allowed 
for different parts of me to come out. And, you know, there were certain people I felt I needed to be more accountable to my attitude and keeping. And I did that pretty well until one time Clara finally saw me like throw a temper tantrum. And it was one of the only ones I threw the whole time, but I threw one. And Clara, my mother-in-law got to watch it. (laughs) But I think we all walked away from it. You know, it wasn't easy. I was really guarded and sheltered out there a lot from the dynamics going on around me. I I got to be alone or who with who I wanted to be with 12 hours a day. These guys had to sit in a box, a little camper with each other. And I can't even imagine what that had to be like. But we all got through it. And I think we could all say, I think what I was getting to with that is at the end of the day, I think we all walk away saying it was a beautiful experience that we all learned a lot from. There were some hard times, but there were a lot of really good times. Sounds like he's still welcome in the family. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah, I mean, I I got to spend so much time with Robbie, and I feel like through it, I got a brother. And it was like, I've never had a brother before. I've had two sisters and partners, and I was like, wow, this is what it feels like to have a brother. This, like, it just really bonded us in a way that we had not bonded before, and that was really special to have that time. Yeah, likewise. I, I'm an only child. Hmm. Like, I definitely gained a sibling out there, and that... I never knew what that felt like. And, and knowing that there's somebody you can trust and has, you know, your, your well-being in mind at all times, that, that, that was really cool. Especially someone from a, that's your peer that's of your age, you know, not coming from a parent. Go right here. How was the scheduling of the logistics, laundry, restocking, food, et cetera? I mean, (laughs) it was tough. Um, We would look at towns ahead, and when we had cell service, Google if there's a laundromat, and we'd kind of, I mean, yeah, I would try to send the shoe, try to think like 10 days ahead, because by the time, if the Hoka or Pure Power or these other places, Um, companies wanted to send stuff out to Robbie I'm like okay well I'm gonna have to push it out like 10 days because by the time they say yes and whatnot and so I try to give a spot so I'd be like okay Columbus and then I knew from my AT hike that post offices have really bad hours when you're like when you need it it's like a Sunday at 8 p.m. when you're there and post office is closed so hotels are where we sent a lot of the stuff to because it's 24 hours so I would always look for like a hotel with 24-hour reception to send a lot of the, the boxes to and some people like they're like no meat athlete Austin group sent a care package to you and like people sent stuff to him and um so that was pretty cool but yeah so like I'd always kind of coordinate okay so we know in Columbus Ohio we've got this stop at the Holiday Inn we've got to pick up three packages I'd write it on the whiteboard and um and then we'd also kind of try to coordinate other errands like maybe try to hit up a Whole Foods because we knew we could pick up Natamu there slash a laundromat slash (laughs) whatever so we there were like always the little different errands that we would have to kind of coordinate in cluster and we knew it was probably about every three or four days and then we only had a mini fridge feeding five people and a yeti cooler so the cooler kept the smoothies cold but like we had a so we had to constantly be buying produce to feed the crew and robbie so grocery shopping was kind of constant so we also had like a shared grocery list on our phones a reminders list so we oh, carrots, somebody would add it, and then whoever went to the store had the list that we all kind of added to, so. 
But I, th- and I think one of the logistical nightmares that we ran into really early was a lot of my nutrition was based on smoothies. I had a 2000 watt generator we brought with to power the camper when needed and also the Vitamix. Vitamix takes 3000 watts. Oh, so <laughs> powerful this, blender. Oops. Yeah. Again, back to our, our jolly British friend walking in like across a Walmart parking lot with a Vitamix and a bunch of fruit under his arm into a Walmart going, do you mind if I just plug in here? And they're like, okay. Uh, and then I had a friend come out for the day. I don't remember what day it was around day 30. And we were telling him about this problem. And he's like, well, what are you putting in the blender? And we went through everything. One of the things being carrots. He goes, shredded carrots. I'm like, what? He's like, it's the torque. The carrots are too hard to get through the blender. Buy shredded carrots. And it, <laughs> then we could use the 2,000-watt generator Brilliant. after that. Yeah. So nice. I think that was one of that the ones. Helped, yeah. I mean, when you got to have four smoothies ready for me at all times, like, <laughs> and you, you have to plug in to do this, and you're going through the Mojave Desert, not a lot of plugs. How was the Nana yeah. move so kept we, cold? <laughs> <laughs> important question. Very important question. We, so we had a mini fridge and a mini freezer, and we would stack it, and we had to kind of like, the ones in the bag were for the crew that we were eating out of. The ones that were not in the bag were for giving out and not opened. But you're driving this camper, and... Oftentimes you open the freezer and 15 Nanamu pints <laughs> fall out on you and you're like, so it was like a two or three person job sometimes because if the camper was on a slant, then, then all the ice cream is slanted one way. But yeah, we were able to fit, fit like a lot of pints of ice cream in this, um, in the freezer. I don't remember how many, maybe 25. Yeah, 20. And Nanamu is nationally distributed now, so we could find it all the way across the country. Check out Whole Foods. Check your <laughs> local Whole Foods. <laughs> Oh, right here again. What else was in the smoothies besides Soylent? So um, veggies, which didn't add a whole lot of calories, but um, coconut milk was a big cal- caloric factor. Um, peanut butter, chia seeds. Uh, what else? And then fruit. I mean. Anything, anything. and everything. Banana. Uh, bananas, yeah, bananas. Yeah. yeah. The main, the but calories the main were mainly coming from the coconut milk. Coconut milk, peanut butter, chia seeds, yeah. soylent was the bulk of it, and then fruit and vegetables on top of that. And something else about the smoothies and plant-based, as far as athletes, one thing to consider that became very clear to me out there is the great thing about a plant-based diet is it takes, it's less laborious to digest, and that really goes a long ways when you're pushing your body. And these smoothies made that even one step further. It was halfway digested. Um, and kind of the, what the, the moment that I, this all came together for me in my mind, it was day seven or eight, Mojave Desert, really, really hot. And I was running behind Elliot, and it, I was at the bottom. I had no energy left. And I realized that if I just followed his feet in the white line, I could let my eyes unfocus. That lack of focusing my eyes provided more energy for my legs. So imagine what you're talking about if you like slam a cheeseburger and the next morning get up to run. Your body's still working through trying to process that. Staying away from those foods gives you more energy to do the things you love. And that went, that's one reason this plant-based diet meant so much was it was just the least amount of energy spent on the digestion, leaving more for my body to perform. Question in the back there. Did you develop more self-discipline as you went? Yeah, definitely like self-discipline and perseverance for sure like i have perseverance in spades like everything from driving i drove the camper back 
from New York back to Denver. So it's like a 27 hour drive. I was like, I got this. Like, I don't have to, I don't have to run for 20. Like, I, you know, it's like I, I ran for 12 to 14 hours a day. What's 12 to 14 hours behind the wheel of a car? Uh, so, yeah, I think that in when I got done, I was in New York for 10 days and I was having a lot of social anxiety. I was having a lot, hard time navigating technology, especially let's go back into the, the social anxiety. And it wasn't just social anxiety. My brain wasn't functioning right in conversations. I'd went from where, you know, when you're running and left brain, right brain are connecting and you're jiving, you have great conversations. You can think and profound thoughts come to you. You can talk about it. Well, that's what I got used to. I was either running or just finished running every time I had to talk to somebody that wasn't a close friend or family. And then I get to New York and I'm just bombarded with people and my, they're not connecting anymore. And it was making me extremely anxious and I think the only reason I got through it is because of what I had just done. Prior to that, if some condition would have happened and I would have ended up in that inability to function socially, I think I would have just retreated to my house and never talked to anybody again. But due to what I just accomplished, it was like, this sucks, but I'm going to get through it. And I'm just going to put myself out there again and again until I get through it. And I think it definitely still resonates in my life. Um, Right now, I'm in a point of not knowing what's next. I don't even know what the mechanism is financially to move forward. I put everything into this, and there's a lot of good things happening and going to come together. A year ago, that would have given me so much anxiety, it would have crippled me. And now it's just part of the game. That's what you just got to do, and it will be, I will overcome it like I've overcome everything else along the way, especially this 75-day run. So, yeah. Amy, question. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally. Yeah. So two questions there. One is how much did you cry at the finish or did you? And two, talk about bowel movements. How much did you poop eating a plant-based diet on this, on this run? Uh, when I finished, there was I teared up a little bit. I tend to do that. I get there and then I don't go all the way unless I'm breaking down on day 19. It's not coming out of my nose. Um, so not a lot then. It really hit me on the ride home. When I did drive myself back, I stopped uh, the first night at a rest, a rest area and jumped in the back of the van where I'd been sleeping for 75 days. <clears throat> and um, it was the being alone. That was <clears throat> understanding that that camaraderie was done. That was really hard. Um, but at the finish, there were a lot of emotions. Uh, they didn't invoke tears. I had a lot of interviews to do right away. And it, 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 there was a sense of relief that day that it was, it was done for sure. The uh, end kind of started five days before the end. That's true. We tapered down, which really... We just had a cushion at the end. Uh, I wanted to do it in 75 days. That was my goal. And through everything, we realized near the end, there was a little bit of a cushion. So we were able to taper for the last five days, which I think really helped me physically, emotionally, mentally. Uh, just so it was 45 every day and then 37, 33, 28, 21, 17. And that really helped. I think had I just been 45, 45, hit, hit the, I'd have lost it. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and then the second question, yes, same in, same out. Um, did not think about that one, but yeah, there was a there was a lot of bathroom breaks. We were every, I mean, we were keeping tally marks at times, five, seven times a day. Yeah, and easier on the Where west. Did you go? Yeah, easier on the west coast, harder on the east coast. You get way more dense population the further you go. Um, Along in the beginning, it was wherever you want. You know, you can see a car coming two days away. You're like, oh, they're not going to be here for a long time. I'm all good. Uh, and then somewhere in 
I think it was near Pennsylvania, maybe a little before that, but that was one of the first times I remember I had to go in somewhere to go to the restroom. And that was just kind of interesting, a little tangent. I walked into this bank and I was like, do you mind if I use your restroom? <laughs> and I've got on a hydration vest my beard's down to here the lady is just like you can tell her about to hit the panic button she doesn't know what's going on uh but she didn't and she's like sure go ahead and use the restroom it's right up those stairs and i turned around and it was a full two flights of stairs i was like well i haven't done that in about 60 days i fell four times going up the stairs my my legs had not made that motion i mean i had done my legs did this one little shuffle and they did it for 75 days and i yeah four or five times on the way up and two or three on the way down and yeah <laughs> that's nuts Right here. Yeah, any scary situations? Yeah. Dangerous I moments? Mean, nothing too terrible. Some bad weather. We had some really fun bad weather. Uh, lightning was extremely close to me. Jacob was just hovering around me in a little car, like kind of asking me to come in from the rain. But uh, we, there was definitely some of that, some lightning and stuff. We did stop five miles early one day. We thought there was a tornado coming. Uh, luckily, no, nothing there. A couple of close calls with cars. I'll tell you this, every single one of them, but one was because people were looking at their cell phone. Every time a car started to weave towards me, I'd look, and they were looking at their phone, except one time in Taos, a lady passed out in her car. And I saw her coming. Shelly was with me, and I pushed her out of the way, and the girl was just nodded out. She was out. Um, but otherwise, it was always cell phones. Stay off your phones while you're driving. Seriously. One more here, and then I've got one more, and we'll wrap it up. Check vitals, weight. Did you worry about any of those things? We, we didn't really. I mean, you wore a watch that had your heart rate, and so you kept an eye on your heart rate. Um, and then I would ask a lot about peeing and pooping um, and <laughs> making sure that, that those things were happening and fr with frequency. <laughs> um, there, was only one, yeah. there was one time where we thought we were going to have to stop and do some blood work. Uh, everything was going really well. And then all of a sudden I just, I couldn't, I, I didn't have the energy and we were really thinking I was deficient in something. We were about to stop and get blood work. We were working through the, what that was. And then one morning, about six days into this, I'm going along and I was like, I just don't feel like I've had coffee. Like what's going on? And I got in and I asked if I could see the, we were using instant coffee just for, for ease, uh, and convenience. And I asked to see the coffee, and they had picked it up the week before at a convenience store, and it was expired. It had no caffeine in it. So all of this worry of where I was at with minerals and iron levels was caffeine. Caffeine was needed more caffeine. Yeah, yeah. All right. So last question as we wrap this up. You called this your plant-powered mission. That's the reason why you did this. That's the reason why you're here. That's the reason why not a moo. It was on the team with you. So what are the final words you'd like to say about that mission? as we wrap this up? It's important. Um, Plant-based plant lifestyle, whether you're going to go full into it 100% or it's something that you just start considering your food choices, they matter. They matter to you. They matter to you as an athlete. They matter for your overall health and they matter to the health of your community, whether that our local community or our larger community as a planet. Uh, as an environmental stance, you as an individual, one of the biggest things you can do is adopt a plant-based diet. Uh, UN statistics say that 14.5% of carbon emissions right now are coming from raising livestock. That's, that's higher than transportation. People are striving to get a Tesla because they think it's going to help. All you got to do is quit eating meat. Um, I don't like to preach 
absoluteness or that you have to do this overnight. Uh, I think it comes from a place of we have three meals a day traditionally. And if you're somebody that eats three meals a day that are heavy meat, cheese, and eggs, cut one out. You're doing a huge advantage for yourself and for the environment. And if you find that it works for you and you want to strive for more, next week do two, next month, next year. And over time, accumulatively, by making one choice, it's better for everybody. And eventually you may make the whole switch, at which point I promise you as, as an athlete or not an athlete, you will feel the difference. It is so much better for your body and your overall health, emotionally, mentally, and physically. Thanks, Robbie. Really appreciate it. Very inspiring. Thank you, Jackie, for being here. Thank you for you guys for joining us on this live podcast. Thank we'll you. wrap it here. Awesome. Thanks. So there you go. That was my live discussion this past Thursday with Robbie Ballinger and Jackie Howard. I want to thank them for joining me and being so open and transparent and real to talk about their experiences on this cross-country journey. I also, of course, want to thank the live audience, those 40 or 50 who showed up to not only participate and give energy to the event, but also to ask great questions. Really appreciate that. And then I also wanted to say as we wrap things up that just in full, disclo- full disclosure, I am someone who does actually incorporate meat into my diet. And while I don't follow the practices of vegetarianism or veganism, I do believe that when you hear somebody like Robbie and Jackie talk about it, it's definitely thought provoking, makes me consider my choices. And as Robbie said there at the end, maybe think about making some different choices on the margin. And it's completely okay to incorporate those types of thoughts, processes in a different way in my life versus how they choose to do it in their life. And the same goes for you. I know that there's some people who get really fired up and offended if they think somebody's trying to push a plant-based or vegan diet on them. And that's not what's happening here. That's not what I think Robbie's trying to do. He's just trying to prove that you can do big things like he did on a plant-based diet for those who have doubts about that. And then he's also just trying to elevate the discussion on what raising meat in our in our country, in our world, and how that might impact our environment. And I think you have to listen to that, but you also have to be inspired by the other all the other elements that he talked about as well. So hopefully that's the spirit with which everybody took this discussion that's certainly how i'm taking it and i really appreciate robbie and jackie providing their perspective providing their experiences on this journey i personally am walking away very inspired and i hope you are too so thanks to you as always for joining you can check us out at roguerunning.com and follow us on instagram twitter and facebook at roguerunning until next time we'll talk to you soon